Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we just started a new book of the Torah, uh, Devarim, also known as Deuteronomy, um, which has very amazing qualities to it. And it's also, uh, we're kind of just a couple of days before uh, Tisha B'Av, the ninth of the month of Av, which is, you know, an amazing day in itself. Um, technically, it's 100% a holiday, and yet that, that aspect of the day um, is, is, has not really been uh, revealed or it has be, hasn't become manifest yet. And so, so far from being a holiday, uh, it, it's the saddest day of the year and sort of the, the capital of all the tragedies that have happened to the Jewish people throughout history. Um, and so, that, uh, so that's where we are right now, where it's uh, we, beginning this new book and, you know, just on the express train to, uh, to Tisha B'Av. And so I want to talk about both of these aspects, but I want to begin. Um, I want to begin by by uh, by just noting something, which is that it doesn't happen too often. But the um, there are a few parshas, a few um, sections of the Torah that are always fixed in terms of calendar dates, because normally speaking, there's a sort of a fluidity. Sometimes we read this uh, this parsha, this section. You know, around this time of the year, sometimes it's a couple weeks beforehand, a couple weeks after, whatever it is, just depending on how the year falls out. You know, um, you, you know what I'm saying in terms of like when we celebrate Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and everything like that, there's a, we, we sort of use uh, colloquially, we say that the, uh, you know, they, the, the holidays come early this year, they come late, and the joke is they never come on time. They're, early, they're either early or late. By the way, just as a, just as a, Totally obscure uh, left field aside. I heard that in China, like according to um, manners, protocol, etiquette in China, it's actually more rude to be early than to be late. You know, which actually there's some logic to that. If you think about it, if someone's not finished getting ready and all the rest, you know, that that might be more embarrassing to the person. But anyway, that's a a separate thought. (laughs) So um, you can file that under Chinese etiquette protocol. Um, that large file that you have in your brain. Um, anyway, uh, so getting back to the subject at hand here, um, this parsha of the Torah, this book of the Torah, Devarim, is always happening right before Tisha B'Av. And by before Tisha B'Av, I mean a couple of days before Tisha B'Av. It's always what we read, the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av, always, every year. And that's fixed. Now, we'll see some very amazing things that, that come from that correlation. The, the first, and we'll go deeper into this as we, as we go on, but the very first and most obvious connection is the word Echa. Echa is the um, name of the book of Lamentations. Uh, it's one of the five Megillus, one of the five scrolls um, that we have in, in, in the Torah. And uh, it was from the prophet uh, Jeremiah. And it talks about the destruction of, of the base of Migdash, of the, of the Holy Temple, and the exile of the Jewish people. And it's called Echa. And um, it means, in that context, it's sort of translated as the word alas. It's just like a... I mean, you can't really put this into word, but it's like... ah. I mean, it's just a, just a groan, just from the, from the depths. That's what... That's what Echa is. And um, interestingly, amazingly actually, or chillingly, the word Echa appears in this week's Parsha, like right in the beginning of this week's Parsha. Um, and so that's one of the astounding correlations between the fact that we're always reading this Parsha right before we read Echa itself. You know? So there you see the word. Um, now we're going to go more into this um, later, but I just want to set it up for you so you have it kind of clear in your mind. This word Echa actually appears very, very early in the Torah, in another context, but in a way in the same context. It's amazing, actually, because it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and there it's the exact same letters. It's Aleph, Yud, Chaf, He, that's how you spell Echa. It's pronounced there Ayeka. But it's the exact same word. And if you want to see it, it's, um, it's in Brashis, Genesis, chapter 3, 
Um, verse number, verse number uh, nine. And there it says, there, there it's Hashem talking to Adam and Chava after they've eaten from the tree of knowledge. And he calls out to them and he says, where are you? And that's the translation of Ayeka, where are you? Okay, and again, um, we'll go more into that, but he was talking to them spiritually, like, you know, where are you at? You know, what would you just do? So we're going to go into all of these things in a bit, um, uh, but that's just kind of just to give you a basic setup. Now, I want to go deeper and just talk about the base of Migdash itself. Um, let's begin with the fact of how we daven Shmona Esrei. So everyone knows Shmona Esrei, also known as uh, the Amida, or in English the Standing Prayer. That's the heart of the of, the, of every prayer service. And um, you know it's so basic and it's so integral that when the Talmud discusses it, it refers to it by the name of Tefillah, and that, which means prayer. In other words, that's that's prayer. That, that's it. The Shmona Esrei, those eighteen benedictions. That that's prayer. By the way, um, you know, in Pirkei Avos, they, they talk about different uh, ages where it becomes most appropriate to do certain uh, milestones of life and things like this. When, you, when one begins learning uh, Mishnah and things like that, and it says, it says that one goes to the Chuppah, that, that the ideal, from the, from the sage's perspective, at that time anyway, um, that the ideal time to go to the chuppah, to, to the marriage canopy, it says is Shmona Esra. Shmona Esra B'chuppah. Right? And so, um, I always thought on a deeper level that when, when one davens Shmona Esra, they should feel like they're standing under the chuppah with Hashem. You know, in other words, that, that level of intimacy, that level of connection should be there when you're experiencing tefillah, prayer. Okay? So, so, so we understand the centrality of what the Shemona Esrei is, what, these, what, 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 what that service is. So, so how do we approach it? So everybody knows we take three steps backwards and then we take three steps forward. So I want to explain it like this. You know, in terms of the structure of the universe, we have four, they're, they're called four worlds. It's basically one world, but, but it's... Um, these are four sort of stratifications of the world. And as, as, as the world itself transfers seamlessly from physicality to spirituality. In other words, we understand physicality to be condensed spirituality. Literally, God condenses his light and on and on and on and on until the world becomes physical. But physicality is not the opposite of spirituality. Physicality is condensed spirituality. A lot of people don't understand that. They think, I'm not spiritual. And my joke is, you're made of spirituality. That's all you are is spirituality. It's just in this condensed, compacted form. Okay. So we've got four worlds. This world is called Olamasiya, the world of action. Okay. And we take three steps forward when we begin our prayer, and this is climbing the realms. We're climbing the realms. These st- three steps forward is going from Olam Asiya, this world, the world of action, to the highest world. Okay? Now, amazingly, after we finish, and then we have our audience, we're standing before the king. And a person has to understand that when they, when they daven. This is really one of the keys to davening. You have to imagine you're standing right in front of the king. And of course, the king has no physicality to him. God doesn't have a body. He makes bodies. But nonetheless, one should feel as though they're standing directly in the presence of God. And, and Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says that, you know, technically, you're supposed to be able to um, hear yourself daven. You're supposed to speak, say the words, Loudly enough, so that just you can hear them. Okay, because you don't want to throw other people's concentration, because this is when people really try to focus, and if you're doing it too loudly, it messes other people up, so that's not good. But, you shouldn't do it so softly that you can't even hear yourself. 
And you can find that happy medium. But listen to what Rabbi Nachman says. How, how, how should you say the words? You should yell them so loudly that no one else can hear them. And this is actually a spiritual technique. I've heard it called silent shouting. And if you've, I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's, I'll, you know, I'll give you just an example of this. And you can actually hear yourself slightly. And it actually has quite an amazing impact on your davening if you, if you do this. You are shouting out, literally shouting out the words. So, and there's no contradiction between the fact that you're standing in front of the king and you're shouting out the words. I mean, that's it's actually an awesome thing. Um, okay, so, so let's keep on going. What's the idea? The idea is that after you finish your audience with Hashem, so to speak, and you're up in the highest realms, right? This is called Olam Atzilus. This is the, the highest dimension. And of course, Hashem is infinite. He goes beyond everything. Um, but in terms of our structure of the universe. Um, so, so you take three steps backwards. And uh, actually the first thing that you say is, Osei Shalom Bimromav. Interesting, Rabbi Parry was pointing this out. Osei, the first thing you're saying is, when you take three steps backwards, is Osei is, is hinting at Olamasiya. Osei Shalom means make peace. But osei, make, is from this word, same word, asiya. In other words, you're basically pronouncing where you've come back to. You see? And you're saying make peace. In other words, that there should be no contradiction. And we'll remember that word. I'm using it very deliberately right now. There should be no contradiction between the highest heavens and this world that we're in right now. Okay? But, but, um, but I'm driving to a point right now. Which is that then we say, we say, uh, please Hashem, Shayibane Beis Hamigdash, which means please rebuild the Beis Hamigdash, the holy temple. And so, so in other words, you see something, and these are my words, but, but you, you see something I think very amazing, which is right after you've stood in the world of perfection, and we know that the, the third base of Migdash has been built and it exists and it's waiting for us. And it exists in heaven. And I heard Reb Shlomo say that when Mashiach comes, we'll see that it was always there. We'll have the eyes to see that it was always there. Okay? So the base of Migdash exists. And and one of the amazing, most beautiful teachings is that every time a person does a mitzvah, they're, they're putting a brick, so to speak, in the base of Mikdash. In other words, you're, you, through your, through your avodah, through your mitzvah observance, you're literally building this heavenly structure. Um, so, and then, of course, there are different opinions of, of how it's going to manifest itself in this world. One is that it will come down complete, right? That structure is actually going to come down complete, which is a, I mean, that's beyond awesome, just to imagine what, what that is, you know? And the other is that, no, we're going to build it. And then there's another opinion, which is that it's going to come down, but we're going to build the entranceway. So there's different opinions. And you know what? None of them matter. Let's just have it. <laughs> You know, people get caught up in the details of it. It's all beside the point. You know what I mean? I'm going to throw you a massive party. Yeah, but should we do blue invitations or green invitations? Just throw the party. You know, you know, it's, it's not getting hung up. You know, I'll tell you, uh, I'm, along those lines, um, the, uh, when the uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe, the, the one who was... Uh, the, the last Lubavitcher Rebbe, or hopefully there will be another one, but, but uh, Rebbe Nachem Mendel, Schneerson, uh, you know, they would, they would sing with great fervor, we want Mashiach now, we don't want to wait. And, and, uh, and they were singing it on Shabbos, and we have a tradition that Mashiach doesn't come on Shabbos. So someone came up to the Rebbe and said, why are you singing it now? Because 
the, the Mashiach is not supposed to come on Shabbos. He doesn't come on Shabbos. And the Rebbe answered, let him come, and then I'll explain how he came on Shabbos. <laughs> so, so <laughs> in other words, the base of Mikdash, we build it, it comes from heaven, it doesn't matter, let's just, let's just get it, you know? Um, so, so the point is this. We take three steps forward in Shemona Esrei, and we're standing in this world of perfection, we're standing before the heavenly base of Mikdash, we take three steps backwards, and isn't it interesting, the first thing we say after we finish Shemona Esrei, our audience with the king is, Shi'ibane base of Mikdash, please God, rebuild the base of Mikdash. In other words, we come back to this world, this realm, this dimension, Olam Asiyah, the world of action, this here and now place that we dwell in, and the thing that strikes us is, there's no base of Mikdash. There's no holy temple. It's like, what? And then, please God, we build the holy temple. So I want to zero in on these words some more, because I believe, and again, these are my words, but I, I believe that contained in these words, Shi'ibane Beis HaMikdash is actually a formula for building the Beis HaMikdash. It's not just a prayer to build the Beis HaMikdash, it's a formula for rebuilding the Beis HaMikdash. So, so let's, let's, let's zero in and see what we're, we're talking about. Shi'ibane means to rebuild, right? Beis. So let's stop there. Beis is also the letter base, like as in Olive Beis, Gimel Dalit, right? And Beis, we know, is the gematria of number two. So our prayer to Hashem is, please God, help me to rebuild two, meaning all of the duality in my life. Right? There's, there's my physicality and my spirituality. There are all these contradictions and all these separations and all these walls in my life. Please, God, please, God, help me to heal and to rectify all of these divisions in my life so that I can integrate and achieve oneness. And in doing so, and in doing so, if we rectify the bays, all the twos, all the duality, all the divisions, we make one. We achieve unity. And when we achieve that unity, Shayyibane Bays Amigdash, that will be the rebuilding of the Bays Amigdash, of the Holy Temple. Alright, so I just want to get the thought out clearly, but let me give you a bunch of illustrations of this. So the last couple of Fridays um, it just happened to be that I was uh, at two different funerals, and um, this uh, this last one, I was uh, I was in the cemetery, and I had to use the uh, the facilities there, and and I think uh, I think we all know that there's a blessing that we say after we go to the bathroom, and um, this is actually you know you know I've I've heard this from a number of people, which actually is, I think, kind of interesting. A number of people have told me it's their favorite blessing. In fact, someone just told me that today. It's their favorite blessing. And, and basically, you know, for people who don't, haven't really quite wrapped their minds around what the Torah is and what the Torah vision of the world is and just the idea that God fills the entire world and He's involved with every aspect of our lives in a beautiful, loving way, and that you know, so, so the idea of... In other words, some people find it strange. You say a blessing after you go to the bathroom. Like, that somehow seems like so unspiritual or, or whatever it is. Now, interestingly... No, it's the opposite. We're blessing God and we're thanking Him that our bodies, which are so miraculous, are actually working in this incredible way. That's the point. But we do, we do have this level of respect that we don't pray to God or read Torah books or holy books in the bathroom itself. And that's not because God doesn't fill the entire world, but there is a level of respect and the idea that you wouldn't address the king under those circumstances at that place. In other words, it's not God isn't there, it's just, no, that's just a level of, res- of respect. Now listen to this. I saw Rabbi Nachman say something beautiful, which is that, you know, 
See, anyone who really, really wants to cleave to Hashem at all times, so it's a little bit painful to them on some level, uh, on a spiritual level, or on an emotional level, if they're really integrating their spirituality into their life in a real way, that they can't learn Torah when they go to the bathroom. Right? So what does Rabbi Nachman say? It's true, you can't learn Torah, but what can you do? You can yearn to learn Torah. (laughs) You can be in that space thinking, oh, I wish I could be learning Torah. I wish I could be davening. I wish I could be doing these things. And then he says, that's very beautiful and sweet. You see? So there is a way of connecting. It's just you wouldn't do it with an open book, say. You know? So, um... So anyway, what is the blessing that we actually say? We say, well, it's kind of a long blessing. Um, you can look it up. But the, the, the end of the blessing is, Baruch HaTashem, Rofeik Kobasar Umafli Lasos. And basically, what, um, what, kind of the key word in there is just the, this, this wondrous aspect of, of God, that how you made us, right? And how you sustain us. And so I believe it's the Ramah. He explains that what is this, what is this wondrousness, this miraculous quality that's being referred to about the way God makes our bodies. Now listen to this. And this is what I was thinking about while I was standing in the cemetery. <laughs> and, uh, and you'll see what I'm saying in a second. You see... Imagine a helium balloon that's all blown up. Now imagine, now why does it stay all blown up? Right? Because it's knotted. It's knotted, and so the air can't come out. But imagine a helium balloon, or any balloon, that's all blown up, and there's no knot on it, and yet it stays full, and the air doesn't fly out. That would be pretty miraculous, wouldn't it? It's pretty wondrous. It's full. The air isn't rushing out. Why? So, here's the Torah explanation. We have all of these holes in our body. How can it be that the spirit that's inside of us, the soul that's inside of us, doesn't fly out? God miraculously maintains this equilibrium and it's a miracle. Now, all of us, I think, can appreciate that thought. But it hit me like a thunderbolt while I'm standing in a cemetery where it really ram home the idea that the soul does fly out. (laughs) Not only that, but that's the majority of our existence. right? Even though the soul lives on and it's eternal and we live forever and all the rest, none of that aside... But in terms of this body-soul equilibrium, it doesn't have to be. And often is not. So, so the idea that I'm standing here and we're all here with souls in our bodies and our souls, our souls are staying in our bodies is miraculous. Utterly miraculous. So this level, and I'll just... just just throw in one more thing, just because it just hit me so strong. Just what it said on all the tombstones, but maybe, maybe we'll just hold on to that thought in a moment. So, so getting back to this idea, Shagibane Bez Hamigdash, that we're praying to God to heal all the duality, the Bez, the Tunis, all the contradictions, all the separations in my life, all the, all the blockages stopping me from from integrating my, my spirituality with my physicality. Making it one. Keeping it together. We're praying for, to God to heal that. And that healing will be the building of the base of Migdash. Now, we said that there's all these twos, right? All these bases. So, let me just give you another example of what I'm talking about. You know, the Torah itself begins with the letter Bez, hinting at all of, the, all of the duality of this world. Heaven and earth, all the rest. 
the Torah itself was given on two tablets. Twice on two tablets. Both sides. And it was held in a golden ark, which had two kruvim, two angels, and two poles. Right? Also had a top and a bottom. It was in two parts, top and a bottom. And it was kept in there, but I want to focus in on one aspect of it. It says that it had to be made in such a way that it was gold on the inside and gold on the outside. And the Torah sages say that that means that the proper way to be is that you're the same on the outside as you are on the inside. In other words, that there should be no contradiction between what you want to be, who you are, what you truly desire and aspire to be, what your, what your ideals and what your ethics are, and what you practice and manifest in this world should all be one. And now I tell you what it said on these tombstones. Every single one, every single one, 100% of the ones that I saw this, this, past, uh, this past Friday, all said the same thing. Father, mother, wife, child, father, husband, grandfather, grandmother, daughter, Wife, mother, son, daughter, everything. And none of them said, teacher, principal, tycoon, Oscar winner, you know, refrigeration repairman, carpenter. Not one of them said that. And it hit me. All we're going to be remembered for is our relationships with each other. That's it. That's what we're going to be remembered for. Just how we acted with each other. That's it. That's this idea of healing all these breaches. Healing all these separations. You know, I was mentioning before we started the talk, we're in a room right now, and thank God this building that we're in right now, Morgan David, it's being used... um, for good use and, 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 and they have a, a beautiful congregation that's, that started in this room and because it's next to the sort of the main, the main sanctuary and they didn't want to distract each other or for there to be noise flying back and forth which would be, as we were mentioning before, like uh, distracting. So they built a wall. I'm looking at it right now and it's a beautiful wall that, that wasn't there before and it's this Seamless sort of thing. Anyone who walked in would think, oh, that wall was always up there. You know, it was part of the original design. They did a great job with it, and it really does stop the sound. And uh, I was just kind of looking at it before we, we started, and it just hit me. It looks like that wall was always up there. And I had to remind myself that it wasn't there. And then it hit me, what about with each other? You know, we erect walls with each other. And then we just think, oh, they were always there. We don't even question the fact that they didn't used to be there. It just seems normal. There's the wall. Yeah, that's what it is. So how many walls do we have between us and God? How many walls do we have between us and each other? How how many walls do we have between our own souls and our own selves? What we know is right and our ability to actually do what's right. How many walls have we erected? And then, at a certain point, we question them, we get frustrated about them, and then we go, oh, there's just a wall there. That's just not happening. So, so that's all under the category of Shehibane Bays, fixing the Bays, and then the Bays of Migdash comes, when we can heal. Okay. So now I want to go even deeper. So, we mentioned at the beginning of the talk that, that this is one of the fixed parshas before in the year. We're always reading Devarim, right? Beginning the book of Deuteronomy, before, base, before Tisha B'Av. And, uh, and we see something here which I think is really kind of remarkable. Which is, when we heal... The duality. When we fix the bays, when we put the different parts together, 
And we remember what Rabbi Nachman of Breslov always says, that if you believe something was, is broken, you have, to, you have to believe that can also be fixed. So if something is broken, if you have this thing that's split in half, and you put it back together again, what do you get? It goes from the base back to an aleph. goes from two back to one. Right? Now listen to this. Devarim, this book, this Parsha, that we always read right now, it's the only book in the entire Torah that begins with the letter Aleph. In other words, it's this amazing signpost that fixing can occur, that fixing will happen, that it can happen. Alright, now we mentioned in the beginning that this amazing word appears in this week's Parsha, Echa. Echa. Echa begins with the letter Aleph. Right? Echa is the name of the book of Lamentations that we read on Tishabav, Right? But Echa, as we said, goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where we read that same word, Aleph, Yud, Chaf, Hey. It's pronounced Aeka there, but it's the word Echa, 100%. It's the word Echa. All the Chachamim say that. And what's the context of that? Remember, we weren't exiled from the Garden of Eden because we ate from the Tree of Knowledge. We were exiled because God came to us afterwards and said, Ayeka, where are you? And He knew where we were. He's God after all. But He was giving us an opening to repair the relationship. And instead of saying, I'm sorry, God, you know, it just got hard for me and I just, I messed up and I, 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 I didn't mean anything by it. I, I, I want to come back to you and please, God, forgive me and give me another chance. And then God would have said, 100%. But we said, it's his fault and it's her fault and it's the snake's fault. And it was everyone's fault except our fault. So God says, okay, well, we're going to have to try a different plan. <laughs> try a different plan now. But what's the idea, though? We're still getting back to the Garden of Eden. And on the deepest, 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 deepest level, we never left the Garden of Eden, by the way. The deepest, 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 deepest level. But, um, so, so this Parsha is hinting at something very intense. It's saying, you know something? Shiyibane base, if you fix the base, if you fix all that's broken, you make a unity, you get back to the Aleph, and where does that Aleph go back to? All the way back to the root of all of the problems. The Aleph of Ayeka. Not just to the Aleph of Eicha, to, this, to, the, to the manifestation of this stru- destruction, but all the way back to the Aleph of Ayeka, which is where all the problems in the initial separation began. Through fixing the bays, we can get all the way back to that initial Aleph. All the way back. So I want to point out something. It sort of blew my mind. You can, you can see it with your own eyes. Um, if you want, it's on, uh, in, the, in the stone Chumash, the art scroll Chumash, it's on page 948. It's... Uh, Chapter 2, verse uh, 9. It's a very, very rare thing in the Torah. It's funny because we just discussed it in Parsha's Pinchas. We had one of them. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's rare. And um, it's where a verse in the Torah itself has a separation in the middle of the verse. You know, we said that the, the order of the verses was done by the sages. Chapter headings... Parshas were also done by the sages, but like chapter 24, that was done by non-Jewish um, uh, typesetters. But the, so the, there's, in, there's holy integrity to the verses themselves and to the Parshas themselves. So that, for sure, you can derive meaning from. Um, so the other, thing, the other thing is just more of a utilitarian thing. Um, not from the sages. 
Anyway, so, so it's very rare in the middle of a verse for there to be a separation, a gap. And in this week's Parsha, again, the Parsha before Tisha B'av, you have one of these verses. And it says here, it says here, you see, basically the idea is we were supposed to go straight into Israel and uh, then, then the whole thing got thrown. And there's a real key thing where it says that we had to go around Edom, the, the kingdom of Esav, right? Which in Torah ideology stands for the Sahara, the evil incarnation, the Sutton. It's like a big blockage. And so this verse, interestingly, before the gap, and there's a white space in the Torah, before the gap happens, it says, so we passed from our brothers, the children of Esav, because that's Yaakov's brother, so, so that's our brother. So we passed from our brothers, the children of Esav, who dwell in Seir, from the way of Arabah, from Elath, and from Etzon Giber. And, uh, and then you have this big gap. And so it hit me, I'll tell you the rest of the Pasuk in a second. It hit me that that big white space, that's where we are right now. That this is a map, it's a diagram of the exile. It's like this whole roundabout thing that we've had to do in history. Trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, right? This whole, this whole gap is where we're dwelling right now. And I think very significantly, the word after the gap, right, is Vanafel which means when we turned. In other words, when we do tshuva, when we go back, and when we repair this relationship with God and with, when with, and with each other, right? When we turn, there it's talking very literally, we, we turn because we had to go around Asa. I'm saying on a deeper level, when we turn, then that will be the end of the exile. Um... I heard a very, very deep thought from Rabbi Green. That's another way of understanding what I just said here, which is, which is the following. You see, the original plan was man and woman were created on the sixth day of creation, which is why Rosh Hashanah is the sixth day of creation. A lot of people get confused. They think it's, since we're celebrating the creation of the world, they think it's the first day of creation. It's not. It's the sixth day of creation because really the whole world was created for the purpose of the creation of mankind. So that's... The sixth day of creation is, is actually the first day of creation, if you will. It's not, but it's, it's, it's when we celebrate Rosh Hashanah. So we were, we were created just a few hours before Shabbos. And the idea was us, for us to kind of do what we had to do, work the garden, tend the garden, you know, and then Shabbos would have come and that would have been the end of history right there. That would have been the great Shabbos, the day that's all Shabbos, and then that would have been it. Now listen to this way of conceptualizing history and conceptualizing the exile. In other words, when we ate from the tree of knowledge, right, and then didn't say I'm sorry for it, and then left the Garden of Eden, all of that, see, see the, the Zmana Tikkun, Tikkun, the time of fixing, the great era of perfection which we're driving toward, that's called the day that will be all Shabbos, the great Shabbos. All of history, the whole exile, has been one long Arab Shabbos. You see, what, what Hashem is doing is He keeps on extending Erev Shabbos. Right? So we never left we never left the program, so to speak. It's just that, that period of time from the eating of the tree and not the reparation of the tree to that Shabbos, that time keeps on getting extended. But Hashem keeps on giving us opportunities in order to fix it. 
שיהי בני בייז המקדש. To heal all these dualities. And then Shabbos comes. So when you look at this white space, what's this white space? This is Erev Shabbos. This exile here, this is Erev Shabbos. Right? Erev Shabbos means just like the, the dawn of Shabbos, if you will. Like the eve, the eve of Shabbos. Like the moments before Shabbos. So all of history is Erev Shabbos. And unfortunately, it keeps on getting extended. You know, but that's, that's another way of understanding something very profound that the sages say, that there's a fixed time when Shabbos has to come. In other words, when people talk about Shabbos happening, you know, you know in the, in the 6,000th year or whatever it is, right? That's the idea that, no, you, you're hitting Shabbos at that point on the macro level. Then it's Shabbos. And, and the, the, the problem... See, what we want to do is we want to conduct our lives and our relationships in a way where we can... We're, 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 we're vessels for this tremendous light. Otherwise, if the light is too strong for us to hold, we experience it as destruction. This is the teaching that the word Vayahi... Vayahi, I noticed, is all the letters, Vayahi, the sages say, signals a bad time, if you see it in the Tanakh. Vayahi is all the letters of Hashem's name, Vav and Yud and He, but it has two Yuds and only one He. He is a vessel. Yud is the highest point of light. You see, the way Hashem's name is, is, is spelled is Yud and He and Vav and He. There's one point of light and two vessels. Because when Hashem is radiating, you need a lot of vessels to hold that light. Now, can you imagine if you have two yuds and only one hay? You don't have the vessels to hold the light. In other words, it's not badness. This is why we say a blessing over even bad times. Because everything that emanates from God is good. But if we don't have the vessels to hold it, we don't experience the good. The opposite, it feels like destruction. So the idea is like this. If at a certain point, the sages say, the, the deadline happens and Mashiach comes. And this is a way of understanding the apocalypse. That's why we talk about the war of Gogu Magog, right? This is like, it's like this apocalyptic war that happens. It doesn't have to happen, by the way. They have a very important rule in terms of understanding the words of the prophets, which is that all the good things have to happen, none of the bad things have to happen. But it depends on our actions. You see, if our relationships aren't healed, if we haven't healed the base, all the dualities, all the contradictions, all the separations of all, all the walls, if we haven't done that, when the time comes then the light is shining so strong because the time has come and we don't have the vessels to hold it. We experience it as this massive war with massive destruction, God forbid. Or, or, we've got it together in a beautiful way and we've got all the vessels to hold the light. And it's just like, ah, yeah. You know, have you ever been on time to a place and it feels so good? <laughs> you know, all of us know like the craziness and the arguments, you know, you're still getting dressed and, you know, I can't find my tie or we're going to be late and ah, and there's yelling and there's fighting. That one we know, that one we all know. <laughs> But every once in a while we get it together and it's just like we're there and we're there on time and it just, it just goes so smoothly and it feels so good. That's the version where we have the vessels to hold the light. And uh, Shem should bless us that, that, uh, that we should get to that place. And by the way, that correlates with, Hashem, with, 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 the, with, the, with the time with this manatikun, with this with this ear of perfection that we're heading toward, when it actually even comes early, because once Hashem says you're ready, then Hashem, 
Hashem is not withholding it to withhold it. Right? He's not making us wait. As soon as we're ready. Like I heard Rabbi Green say one, one time, Hashem is giving us 100% of His good 100% of the time. Once we're ready, that moment, that moment, Mashiach is going to come. We're going to hear the great shofar blast. That moment. That moment. And so, here's to that version. And uh, i just tell you one, one awesome, 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 awesome teaching from Rabbi Wilson and, and uh, Shlita. And we'll, we'll close on that. Awesome. Um, one of the beautiful things about Tisha B'Av, as, as sad and as tragic as it is before the, the true essence is revealed, but one of the nice things within it, actually, is at midday, at a chatzot, we actually go from sitting on the floor, because you're not even allowed to sit on a normal chair, because that's a, you know, I remember when I was on The Simpsons, actually, I had to go to work on Tisha B'Av, and, you know, it was a room, there were about 15 writers in the room, including the executive producer, the head writer, and I couldn't sit on a chair. I could not. I just couldn't. So I sat on the floor. And the executive producer, you know, you can imagine, of The Simpsons, was a pretty sharp guy, to say the least, and the funnier humans ever, kind of like looked at me. <laughs> I was like, why are you sitting on the floor? And I didn't know what to say. I said, I'm mourning Jerusalem. Anyway, okay. Was it? Didn't make a joke. Didn't didn't say anything. It was just like, okay, this is for real. Moving on. Um, so, at a certain point at Chatzot midday, um, you can sit in a chair, and you're still fasting. And you know, August, wherever you are, it's usually pretty darn hot. It's not an easy fast. It's actually a longer fast than, uh, than Yom Kippur. And uh, anyway, I want to invite everyone. I'm going to do it again this year where we do the Gomorrah uh, Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. And uh, it's an interactive thing. I just will go through the Gomorrah and I'll ask dozens of questions, literally. It usually goes for a few hours. And, you know, it's anyway, it's... I've done it before, and it's always really very, very special. We'll probably do it here at about 2 p.m., if, if you have a chance. It's going to be here? I think so, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we'll confirm that. But anyway, so, anyway. Uh, so, even amidst all the sadness, you can still sit on a chair midday, and there's a sense that, you know what, this isn't forever. It's, it's going to get better. And not eventually. Even in the heart of the day itself, there's an indication that it's getting better. That's what I'm trying to say. And you feel it. You feel it. You go, okay, I can sit on a chair now. Okay. It's, you know what? It's going to get better. It is. It, I, I, I'm, I'm actually experiencing it right now that it's getting better. So, um, so you know, men put on tefillin and um, we do it every morning except... Uh, on Shabbos and on holidays, but every single morning we do it, and it's one of the biggest mitzvahs in the entire Torah. It's awesome. If you don't put on tefillin, put on tefillin. If you look at what the sages say, it takes you about five minutes, and the work per reward ratio is so out of whack that you're crazy if you don't do it. <laughs> I mean, really, it's the sweetest deal in the Torah, putting on tefillin. Trust me, just read about it and you'll see. Um, so, um, anyway, we can't put on our tefillin because tefillin is like an adornment. It's like jewelry, so to speak. It's actually cold jewelry. So, um, you can't put it on in the morning because that's an adornment and you're, you're not even allowed to sit in a chair yet. How are you going to put jewelry on, you know? So, the answer is, is that you put it on at mincha time. 
Alright? Now, now we get to the teaching. Now, there are two times you'll see that are going to be advertised in every community, every Jewish community around the world. You'll see there's two times that they advertise mincha. One is the earliest you can do mincha, right? That's going to be midday. The other is kind of like the normal time that most people do mincha, which is all the way at the end of the day, right? Right before Mari. So now, if you were to ask me, you say... I'm into fixing, I want to fix the world, I want to bring Mashiach, I want to do everything good, I want to do everything right. So, when will you put on tefillin? When are you going to dive in Mincha? So, to me, it's not even a question. The first chance that I can do it, I want to run and do it. It's, I mean, it's not only that, but I don't even understand the idea that I'm going to wait till around 7 p.m. to put, I, I mean, I literally don't even get it. Right? So now listen to this. Listen to this. Rabbi Wolfson says, he explains the the position of waiting till the end of the day. Now after you hear this, you'll say, how can I put it on at midday? (laughs) Alright? As we said, Tisha B'Av is a holiday. It actually has, according to Jewish law, this is not a kind of Kind of like an airy-fairy idea right now. According to Jewish law, it is a mo'ed. That means it is technically 100% a holiday. Now, we're not experiencing that aspect of it. But it has the status 100% of a holiday, even today. And what's the proof? We don't say tachanun. That's the prayer where you put down your head on your arm and you... And you only don't say tachanun on very happy occasions. So here's this amazing little toehold, this little foothold of simcha within the day that shows you that even today it has the status of being a holiday because we don't say tachanun. Okay, fine. Now, technically speaking, that's 1% of the day, 99% of the day is the sadness as it exists right now. But now listen to this. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating Mashiach. We're celebrating the redemption of the world. That's what Tisha B'Av ultimately is going to represent. Now, since we don't put tefillin on on Shabbos or on holidays, it's going to be that in the future we're not going to put tefillin on at all on Tisha B'Av. So what's the idea of waiting till the end of the day? Because we're waiting for Mashiach to come on Tisha B'Av. And if he comes on Tisha B'av, then that will be a day when we shouldn't have put on tefillin because it's a moed and it's been revealed. So we're waiting till the end of the day to put on tefillin because we're waiting for Mashiach to come today. And we don't want to have already put on tefillin. Because it could happen. It could happen right now, today, in our midst. 